0300, we launched Operation Desert Storm. Now, you must be the thunder and lightning of Desert Storm. Welcome to Thunder and Lightning, Operation Desert Storm. My name is Jason Dyes. Thank you so much for tuning in. Oh, yes. If my son heard me say tune in, he'd be like, okay, boomer, I'm not a baby boomer. I'm a Gen Xer, and it is great to have you here. Last week's episode, wow, one of the most listened to episodes that we've had, which makes sense. We're getting closer and closer to the war. When I went back and looked at the calendar, to, quick summary, I'm a three-year Army infantry veteran already, when I'm reactivated because I wanted to keep my PX card and my military benefits and make $120 a month as a reservist, but I was sent to the Texas National Guard. I didn't even know that could happen. And so leading up to Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm, I'm not happy to be in a National Guard outfit. And uh, because it is made up primarily of what we would call cultural Hispanic Latin peoples, and the fact that I don't speak Spanish and that I was adopted and raised in good old-fashioned white middle-class America, there is a rather contentious relationship between myself and most of the soldiers, men and women, in the 217th Evacuation Hospital, which is about 90% Hispanic in 1990, 1991. But as I said last week, in last week's episode, it was no big deal. I didn't have to see these people every day. It was once a month, and it was uh, two weeks in the summer. And if you wonder why I'm harping on this, this mutual contempt is actually going to liberate me from the 217th Evacuation Hospital in some ways when we get to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. However, back in the time machine, December 1990, January 1991, I still don't think we're getting anywhere near the war. Now I'm with these people every day. On December 26th of 1990, the day after Christmas, we are activated. All right, like, push a button. The 217th Evacuation Hospital goes from being a bunch of overweight part-time soldiers, uh, sole exception and some others uh, provided, to a full-time unit, real regular army. There were a lot of prior service people in 217th Evacuation Hospital, and, but a lot of those people, they joined to be in the Texas National Guard to, to get to put on the uniform but never go too far from home. And so now, on, you know, I went back and looked at it from the 26th of December to when we arrive on the battlefield in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Believe me, that was at the epicenter of everything, especially during the air wars, we're going to find out. It... It was less than three weeks. I think it was 20 days from living your life, watching what you want on TV, eating what you want, going where you wanted to go before and after work or whatever, to Army life. And when I joined the Army the first time in 1986 in the regular Army, the motto of the Army was, we do more before 9 o'clock than most people do all day. And I can tell you from personal experience, that is freaking true. Real quick, going back to the intro, because we've, we've been playing music from the, 19, the late 1990 or 1990 and 1991. Well, why did you play Wild Cherry, a 1970s song? Believe it or not, in early 1991, Vanilla Ice, the artist known as, or formerly known as Vanilla Ice, had a big hit with a remake of that Wild Cherry song, Play That Funky 
funky, N-K-Y, mom, funky music, white boy, and it was quite a hit. I think it went to like number four on the Billboard charts. We'll let the millennials Google that. So it's back in the big green machine full time, and the Army does not operate eight to five. So in this episode, I want to talk to you about the preparation and what it took to get you know, three or 400 people, part-time soldiers, back into the active duty Army. And it's a microcosm of the logistical triumph that it was to get 600,000 American servicemen and women onto the battlefield. In 2003, Operation Iraqi Freedom, OIF-1 and OIF-2, I don't think we ever had more than 150,000 servicemen and women in country. Operation Desert Storm is a massive logistical effort that deserves to be praised in hindsight. But I can tell you, as a microcosm of that, I was finding out again just how inefficient a big organization like the military can be. We report the day after Christmas, and it's I'm trying to, you know, I've been trying to explain this as best I can because I know a lot of people listening don't remember this 30 years ago. Processing in hundreds of people, and it's all done by hand. Okay, there, there, there are no computers. There, there is no GPS. There is no text message. Okay, you guys report to the dental clinic. All right, you guys report over here. Uh, we'll send you an email. Let you know what your schedule is in the morning. You show up when it's still dark. You go over to Fort Sam Houston, you go get medical checkups, you get dental x-rays, you fill out your will, you get new equipment, all this stuff is going on, and it takes a long time. Every veteran knows what a DD-214 is. That is your paper document that proves that you served in the military, and if you're like me, it proves that you served honorably, you were discharged honorably. To show you just, these are people typing. That, that was a job in the Army. You were a typist, an administrative specialist or whatever. Um, my DD-214 from Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm, my last name is Dias, D-I-A-S, Dias. My name is always mispronounced as Diaz and often misspelled. It is misspelled on my Desert Storm DD-214. It's spelled right on my active duty DD-214, thank goodness, but it is misspelled on my Desert Storm DD-214. Well, before that happens, and I didn't even notice when it happened in December, well, I wouldn't have noticed because I would have got it after the war. And so all of this stuff is going on. It is waiting in line. It is, uh, there is a phrase in the military that anyone that has served in the military will understand by its simplicity and veracity, and it is hurry up and wait. And so I was prepared for that. And so I went over to Fort Sam Houston uh, in late December. Like I said last week, I was reading the classic book, Friday Night Lights. And this is what I love about looking back 30 years ago. You, you can remember the hardship. You can remember the legitimate sense of worry. What, do I, what should I do with my apartment? What am I going to do with my car? What's going to happen to my life if I get sent over to this thing? Well, we had real doctors in the 217th evacuation hospital. If, if you're a physician in private practice and you're the only physician in that practice, there's no substitute doctor to call. I mean, your practice is shut down. We had doctors that are going to go on to lose 
thousands and thousands of dollars uh, when they get called back into the, into the military full-time. Yes, the Army pays you based upon your rank and other factors, but it's not as much as you are making as a, as a doctor in private practice anyway. So we are spending a lot of time at Fort Sam Houston. I've, take, I've, I've brought this book with me, uh, Friday Night Lights, and I'm reading it one afternoon waiting in some line, and I feel somebody standing next to me, and I hear a very nice female voice say, what are you reading? I look over, and it's one of those, you know, cue the Alleluia Chorus moments, this uh, beautiful female soldier uh, looking up at me, and I was just immediately smitten, okay? We're all grown-ups here. I was an unattached, unattached single man in 1991, in this case, December 28th of 1990, and, you know, hello, you know, and they just start talking and things like that. Um, there's a term that used to be used. I don't know if it's still used anymore, like a whirlwind romance, right? This was a whirlwind hurricane. I mean, we are young adults. Uh, we are about to, to head off onto an adventure where the ending is not known. Nobody told us you're reporting back for active duty on the 26th of December. Say goodbye to your old life that you had two days ago. Well, when do we get to go back to our regular life? We don't know. You've been activated for up to a year. That's all we know. And oh, by the way, you might go to the war and get killed. So you'll never go back to your regular life. So I turn and see this, this beautiful young lady, whirlwind romance. I think we saw each other three times uh, between then and being deployed to the war. And just going to say that wonderful relationship of, of whatever it was way back when, it, it turned into a friendship that exists to this very day. So big time shout out. You know who you are up in New Boston, Texas. Well, as part of this in-processing, this activation, it's not just us. Uh, reserve and National Guard units from all over the country are getting activated. It really seems like it's going to happen in early January. And that, it doesn't seem like there's any way of going back. Saddam Hussein has said, forget it. I was going to talk with you in December, but I'm not going to anymore. You want the mother of all battles? Come and get it. Congress had approved, you know, the, the president, president, first President Bush, to send, giving him the war powers or whatever he needed to conduct this war. And so it's really starting to accelerate. So we're getting people from all over the place. Well, back in the time machine, even more, five years before, in 1986, at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, the day that I went from the reception station into real basic training, you know, the welcome to the army, yelling at you, do some push-ups kind of thing, the last person that met with us at the reception station at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, was the chaplain. Now, I don't even know if they have chaplains today. There's probably some diversity protocol that prevents you from calling them chaplains. Well, that happens in 1991. Because we're going to Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, well, nobody knew really where we were going. But the war was in the Middle East, and so you know we're being prepared for all these cultural changes. And I remember them telling us, you can't call the chaplain a chaplain. You've got to call him the morale officer. And so, of course, we all called him 
the chaplain every chance we could. Great story coming up about the chaplain. If you're a person that uh, likes devotionals and, and goes to church, you're going to love the story that's coming up the night that the war started that has to do with our chaplain and the people in our, in our unit. Well, anyway, the chaplain comes over before we go to basic training, and I'll never forget the two things he told us. He said, first of all, keep your sense of humor. You know, what's about to happen is life-altering. Basic training alters your life if you make it through it. It altered mine, all right? I was 119 pounds when I went to basic training. I left at 140. So it's a physical, a mental, a spiritual alteration. I mean, talking to the chaplain after all. So the chaplain, keep your sense of humor. And then he said something that I will never forget. He said, and don't forget, the Army is a small place. Don't get to your permanent duty station and, you know, stab some guy in the back by borrowing money and not, not paying it back or stealing something. He goes, you will see people again. Well, that happened to me as we got ready to go to Desert Shield. As I've told you, I, I don't like being at the 217th Evacuation Hospital. I'm an infantry soldier. I am a real soldier. Well, unbeknownst to me, I'm walking into the armory one morning, and they're standing in front of me one of the best, absolute best, not the best dressed. I was the best dressed. My uniform was always the best looking, um, but one of the absolute most reliable, toughest, old hickory, would never want to fight this guy that I've ever met, Jerry Resnick, from my time at Fort Ward, California, and it was just Wow, you know, now now in a unit of, you know, three, four hundred people, I have two friends, Mike Alonzo and Jerry Resnick, and of course John Moya. So at least we've got a quartet going now, as you'll find out as we get into the war portion of Operation uh, Thunder and Lightning, Operation Desert Storm. Jerry, like me, who knows how to work the Army, is going to get himself into the game just as I'm going to by just kind of learning how to, you know, you can disappear in a unit of three or four hundred people if you know what you're doing. Doing. So we're into this process of reactivating. I've, I've met a young lady that I'm rather smitten with. Um, I've been reunited with one of my dearest buddies from the regular Army days. I've got Mike Alonzo at my side. We're hoping to have him on the air next week when we do the show. And, and yet, like I said, it is just, it's just a total reversal of lifestyle. It, and, and it is a microcosm, as I mentioned before of the logistical feat of getting six FEAT, 650,000 people from one place to another place where we never thought we would be. And for the poor guys out in the desert, there's not even any civil engineering to rely on. Everything has to be taken out there, uh, housing, food, water. You don't see a lot of water out in the Arabian uh, Peninsula, um, medical stuff, everything. It, it, is a, it is an American success story, Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm, that we were able to move all of that equipment to completely turn. You talk about you know, tipping points and moments of inflection. To go from preparing to fight World War III in Western Europe, my uniform was the Woodlands uh, battle dress uniform to, to hide in the forest or to not be seen in the forest of Western Europe. I, I never got out of that uniform. 
uh, you know, when I got to Desert Storm, I never had one of the desert uniforms. And, and it didn't matter because when we all had to put on our mop gear, our chemical suits, when the war started, they were also, you know, forest green. So it is a fascinating success story. But we go from this, this military that is designed and recruited for a fight with the Russians in Western Europe and the Warsaw Pact countries to whoop, just turning and saying, okay, now we're going to go fight a war in the desert. Well, I had been to the National Training Center at Fort Irwin, California, which is like the Army's version of Top Gun. It's where they actually have the tanks out there doing what they do. I had seen what the M1 Abrams tank could do when supported by naval aircraft and, and Air Force aircraft and everything else. I, I, I never thought this war was going to be the hyperbole that continues to be heard on the news in 1991. And when I say the media, uh, they're, they're, they're not as bad as they are now, but they're pretty bad in terms of always covering the negative angle first. 3,000 deaths a day, 10,000 deaths a month. We're going to lose 30,000 people, politicians, you know, it's no blood for oil crowd and all of that. I was one of the very few people, and Mike will attest to this, that thought this thing is going to be over in a month. It's not going to take any time at all. There's nothing on earth that can stop a single M1 Abrams tank, and we're sending hundreds over there. I was familiar. I was a, 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 on, in school on the academic team. I competed in speech competitions, informative speaking, where you have to learn 10 subjects, and then you pull the subjects out of a hat when you go to competition, and you have like two minutes to give a speech on it. One of those topics in my seventh grade year was on the stealth fighter which was all conceptual at the time. It was a rumor. Hmm. The Americans have figured out how to make an airplane invisible to radar, which is a big deal when you're 20 years before GPS becomes commonplace. And so it's a fascinating thing, the logistical things that got so many people over to Desert Storm really is the victory of Desert Shield and puts us in place to win very quickly. By the way, Operation Desert Storm. Those, those 20 days felt like 20 years. The days were incredibly long. Every day was a new problem that had to be solved. As you're going to find out next week, it didn't all go smoothly. We do ultimately end up going to, to Saudi Arabia, to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. But the last thing I want to say as we're in the 18th minute here is that if you've ever worked at a large organization, yeah, or a big company, you may have heard something that we euphemistically refer to as the rumor mill. Okay, in those 20 days getting ready to go over to the war, the rumor mill in the army has got all other rumor mills beat. I mean, the rumors come faster than the rounds on a 5.56 M249 saw. And we're going to Fort Bragg. We're going to Fort Hood. Uh, we're going to Cutter to load boxes. We're going, you know, you name it. Everything was on the table. Uh, we're going to Germany, which I was actually excited about. I've always wanted to go to Germany. Uh, but th and that was the other dynamic. It's just rumor, 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 rumor. And yet you know, nobody, I don't think anybody had Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. One of the, the closest rumor that was true is that we were going to Mus Muscat, Oman, the country of Oman. Um, that was a very popular rumor up until the very last second that we got on the planes at Kelly Air Force Base and headed downrange to Operation Desert Storm. But here in early January, 30 years ago, 1991, it's just getting ready 
to go. If you've been on a family vacation, it's getting everything packed up. There's so many things, so many things that have to be done that I'm even ha- I'm going to have to come up with some creative ways to take some time off from my return to the active duty army, and we'll talk about that next week. Listen, thank you so much for tuning in. I said it again to listening to Thunder and Lightning, Operation Desert Storm. Next week, next week, we're getting really close. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about what it was like up to the night before we left. It was fascinating. I'm going to have my buddy Mike hopefully joining us, uh, Mike Alonzo, who you heard me mention so many times on the podcast. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. Until next we speak, my name is Jason Dyson. Thank you for listening to Thunder and Lightning. Operation Desert Storm. Mm-hmm.